to another episode of White Coats of the Round Table. This is episode number seven. We're going to be talking today about independent contracting for healthcare professionals. Uh, both Mike and I are contractors in some sense or another. So I'm looking forward to talking to you, Mike, about your experiences, what you've learned, what resources are out there, because this is a topic that if you haven't contracted before, uh, we need to know what to look out for. We need to know what barriers are out there. And if you don't do one of these things, are you going to get yourself in trouble? Uh, are there potential tax implications, uh, legal implications? This is more of a dense topic that you're going to want to get your pen and paper out um, or at least subscribe to the Patreon and get the show notes. And you'll see exactly how to handle uh, contracting confidently. Uh, to make sure that you're not being taken advantage of. And maybe you're the one contracting other individuals. You want to make sure you're locked in uh, to limit any sort of liability, uh, financially, uh, legally, any sort of issues. So, uh, Mike, it's good to have uh, another conversation with you at this round table of ours. I want to know what we can really talk about. I mean, this is such an open topic. We can get into anything, stories. We can talk, just get right on into how do you do this, uh, listing down one through 10. Uh, but let's talk a little bit first about what is contracting? Uh, how do we see it play out in the medical profession? Yeah, sure. So I think just let's start with a basic definition. So independent contractor would be someone who supplies services or products to the general public as a non-employee. So it, relationship between the employer and employee is really the big thing. So as an independent contractor, you're in charge of paying for your own taxes and benefits. And that's something we'll talk about a little bit later. It's important because you need to make sure that you're not only taking care of income tax, but then you also have self-employment tax, which equates to about 15.3%. So you're essentially getting double taxed. Clients cannot control how the work gets done, but they do have control over the final product. So this is, uh, especially in healthcare, this is a sticking point because an independent contractor is their own boss and your employer or the person that you work for is hiring you to provide the product, but they shouldn't really have a ton of control over say over how you do it. So I think a lot of times there may be some some issues there where employers may be abusing the independent contractor system. And we'll talk about that. Some synonymous terms for independent contracting that you may have heard, freelancing, uh, 1099 work, contractor, or consultant. And this is relevant because I think more and more you're seeing jobs in healthcare go the independent contractor route. I think physicians historically have often worked in this manner but you're seeing more PAs and NPs doing this. I, I see more physical therapists, occupational therapists, really any healthcare professional um, can work as an independent contractor. Nursing, it may not be as available, but depending on the nursing role, even nurses can work in, in an independent contractor setting. And there's benefits on both sides. From an employer standpoint, there's greater flexibility with the workforce. And certainly with COVID, I think there's been 
a extreme desire on the employer side to make sure that they're flexible and nimble. They don't want to be locked in with a bunch of legacy contracts and payroll. And on the contractor side, if you set up as an independent contractor, yes, it's more work. Yes, there's a lot more responsibility and things that you have to be aware of. But at the same time, there can be additional benefits, including tax savings, but also better work-life balance as you have more control over how you work. That's a great definition. Um, I think if I didn't know ahead of time, I really wish I would have had this podcast, (laughs) the amount (laughs) of research that I had to go through to really understand what all this meant and why people do this over becoming an employee. Uh, this would have saved me a lot of pain and heartache. Uh, so we talked about behavioral, uh, financial and relationships, like how these all can be affected by contracting. Uh, I myself have, when I was in first contracted as a 1099, the, the work that you do can directly lead you to employment with your, with your client, because I've been offered that before, but I got to tell you, Mike, and maybe you're the same way. I really like the contract work over employment because you, you show up, people are happy to see you because you're solving an issue and you're not so much of a liability because a lot of these contracts are set up in a way that you've got 30 days. Um, If you want to, if either party wants to terminate the relationship at any point, most of these contracts have 30 days um, unless uh, there are some long-term ones, but we can get a little bit more into that uh, later on. But there is such a benefit to being a contractor. And Mike, you've actually helped me out a ton with understanding, hey, you may have missed out on this or that. So when I started though, I'm still 40 hours uh, employed and I contract on the side. I have a hard time committing to one or the other because there's pros and cons to mm-hmm. both of them. So I really like to balance out my life that way. Uh, we can talk a little bit more about like, do you want to get into specifics Be beyond the pros and cons of why somebody would want a contract or maybe stay away from it? Yeah, sure. Before let's, let's still finish definitionally real quick. So independent contractor versus employee, because I think there's a lot of situations in, in your, in my case, it's more clear. Both of us are doing consulting work as contractors, and and there's no doubt there that we're not employees. But if a clinic were to hire you, let's say you're a PA or an NP or a physician, and a clinic hires you, there's many different factors that go into that, whether you would be considered a contractor versus an employee. And unfortunately, a lot of times clinics will hire you and they'll try to hire you as a contractor but then mm-hmm. also exert behavioral control, meaning right. they, they may tell you how they want the job done. They may tell you, you know, what equipment you can use, what you can't use. Mm-hmm. Um, they may, you know, tell you how, what time you need to come into the office, how long you can see patients for. So all of those stipulations would make it, you know, probably a little bit suspicious that this isn't actually a, an independent contractor role, but rather an employee role. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, Independent contracting is wonderful, and we'll talk about the pros and cons of it, but employee offers way more protection. As you said, most of these 
contracts, if you're doing contract work, you know, have a stipulation where the contract can be terminated within 30 days. Mm -hmm. And then you're out on the street. You don't you don't get a whole lot of benefits. There's not a whole lot of recourse. And I think more and more you're seeing employers offer independent contract positions because of that flexibility. Mm -hmm. But really, from an IRS standpoint, from a definitional standpoint, these are probably W-2 employees. Mm-hmm. So uh, one thing that you can do if you want to dig deeper, if you're unsure, is this position one that should be an independent contractor or should it be an employee? The IRS has what's called a 20-factor test, and we have the link to this test in the show notes. And you can actually pull it up, and it evaluates the three aspects of control that determine employee status. So if you are you know, looking to be hired, and you're unsure the the employer is offering you an independent contractor position, but you, in your mind, it sounds like it probably is more of an employee position. It may be beneficial to pull up the 20 factor test and take a look. Um, in some cases, being an independent contractor, even if definitionally it, it probably doesn't fit, may be good because historically, if the IRS is going to come down on someone, it's not going to be the employee. It's going to be the employer that will get punished. So I couldn't, in my research for the show, I couldn't find any instances where someone was misclassified as a contractor and then the contractor themselves got punished by the IRS. It's almost always the employer for dodging taxes. So there may be benefits there, but you lose out on a ton of protections. You lose out on a lot of consistency and predictability that comes with being a a salaried or a W-2 employee. So the IRS 20-factor test can help to make that determination. Also, I I would say the first time that you look at your contracts, if this is something you're going to be looking into, you look at this 20 factor test and almost every one of these, I've got to pull it up right now. Almost every one of these bulleted points would be found out in your contract. Mm -hmm. You really should. We're so used to this day and age, having something in front of you to sign. They they tell you how much it's going to be and you sign it, Right. And lawyers always tell you, no, you got to read it, got to read it. And I've had lawyers come through uh, my businesses and take tons of time to read things that all of us usually just sign. Now, contracting is completely different. You should read line by line uh, and ask for amendments if you're not comfortable. Um, I've contracted people underneath me before, and I've gone through back and forth with that. I, I still have somebody that I've been going back and forth months trying to get the contract correct, make sure that it made sense for both parties. And that's normal. If you've, if you've never contracted in any sort of world, even if it has nothing to do with employee relationships, it could be contracting for a, um, uh, a service that you're getting from another company. It'd be contracting for uh, another relationship it has nothing to do with specific a contractee and a client relationship. You have it's commonplace for you to go through these line by line and remove sections and articles that don't make sense for the business. So, I may, you would agree with me, Mike. I'm sure that you need to read your contracts, and once you really understand how contracting works, most of this. Uh, just generally is fluid and makes sense to you as you review. Uh, future contracts. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of times what you'll see is independent contractor positions with clauses in the contract that are just blatantly um, in contrast with the 20 factor test. Mm -hmm. So if you're a contractor, my goodness, pay an attorney, 
have mm-hmm. someone do contract review. It's well worth the money. The last thing you want to do is get stuck in a position where your pay is too low or the employer is exerting you know, too much control over how you do your job. Make sure that you're looking at the contract closely. I agree with you, John. It's even more important in this scenario because if you're an employee, by definition, your employer has a lot of control over you. That's just the nature of the relationship. But as a contractor, it really is something where it should offer you an opportunity to have more flexibility to, to set your own hours or dictate how you want to see patients, what level of staffing you need to see patients. So you want to make sure that you don't you're not taken advantage of by a bad contract if you just mm-hmm. gloss over it and sign it. Mm-hmm. I think that maybe in the show notes on the Patreon account, uh, I, if I get the permission of one of my clients, I'll post a couple of edits that we had to go back and forth to make that makes sense. So you can see how some of these relational uh, uh, changes can uh, impact how the work is being done. It, it might even be just personality. Mike mentioned that you should seek out a lawyer and that is the best advice you can get. Uh, it might be costly. It will be costly for them to do a little bit of a review, but it's going to be more costly for you if you if your payments are late because it wasn't uh, it wasn't written in the contract that they had a certain amount of time to pay you for your services or how the services were done. Uh, some of those have to do just with personality, how you wanted to go about the work, uh, and so that's why I'm I'm advocating that it's not just the lawyer that you're talking to. You need to say, does, does this relationship make sense through this contract? Is this reflecting what uh, the client has already told me this is going to work like? Um, so yeah, this the 20-factor test, That's I had never used that mic. And I probably start just looking through that for future contracts and encourage some of my, my own clients to look at that as well. It's a really quick resource that allows you to see if a contract passes the smell test. Mm-hmm. Very good. Uh, do you mind if we get into the pros and cons then? Because I really, this is, this part is more interesting uh, to the, probably the folks that are, have already considered it and don't know if they really want to invest the time into it. Sure. So I think let's start with the pros of independent contracting. So in the list that I have here, in the pros, I think being able to practice when and where you want. Now that doesn't mean that you get to wake up and say, yeah. I don't really feel like going to work today, but rather if you want to work Monday through Wednesday, eight to six, but then have Thursdays off, well, you would put that in the contract as we just stipulated. And you have much greater control over that because you're not an employee. They can't come back to you and say, hey, we know when we hired you, we actually said that we'd be able to accommodate your schedule request, but you know, needs of the company. So you're, you're able to stipulate in the contract what your working hours are or what you you want that to be. So that can be incredible for work-life balance. You have more flexibility to maintain that work-life balance because as a contractor, you can't get mandated for overtime if they're not, you know, putting that in the contract. So you have much more ability to just tell them, "Nope, sorry," because they're a client. They're not your employer. They don't have that that strong control over you. You have more flexibility to work with multiple clients. Now, multiple many contracts will still have restrictive covenants. So you do have to be careful. Once again, you want a lawyer involved. But if you plan on you know, working for more than one place, I know at my employee, place of employment, um, the people that are W-2, 
They sign non-competes that they can't do any moonlighting. They can't do any clinical work outside of that without permission of the employer. Where my situation at work is actually a little bit different. I'm still considered a W-2, but then I'm on a productivity model. So I'm by all accounts, it's the best of both worlds. And we'll talk about that maybe at, uh, in the bonus episode for patrons. So I'm W-2, but then I am basically a contractor where I get paid based on productivity. So it really is a good, good fit. So there's a lot of benefits that can come to independent contracting. And I think the theme, as John said earlier, is you really need to make sure that you know what you're doing. You look through the contract that they offer you very closely, because as a contractor, the only thing that is binding you to your client or to to the, the clinic that you're working at is the contract. You're not an employee. So there there's a lot more ability to kind of dictate your terms or go back and forth and negotiate. I, I just want to make one one little clarification because you said you got to make sure you know what you're doing. If I was looking into this to begin with and I heard somebody say, you got to make sure you know what you're doing, that would give me pause to say, okay, you know, I know that I'm good at what I do, but I know that there's people better than me out there that can do this type of work. That's not what Mike is saying here. He's saying, just make sure that you've got your, your T's are crossed and your, di- your I's are dotted. Uh, because you yourself already have a valuable asset in your experience and what you want to do. Uh, The best time to do something is now. Uh, Don't wait to do it until you think that you're in the best possible position where the stress is the least or because you're always going to put it it off. Uh, You are in the position you're at right now because you have value to uh, the healthcare system. So don't wait. Mike is not talking about knowing <laughs> what you're doing in your position. It's specifically about making sure that you're keeping yourself safe and, and comfortable with your working environment. Agreed. So here's a good example that I'll give you. So on one of the Facebook groups that I'm in, a nurse practitioner had a contract question and you know posted in the group. So she was offered a, a contract with a clinic and they offered her the opportunity to pick between W-2 or 1099. Mm-hmm. which already right off the bat is kind of goofy because mm-hmm. either you're an employee or you're a contractor. You know, if the, if the job description is the same, it kind of, it doesn't mm-hmm. really have the ability to float between both, but the independent contract was for one fifteen. Mm-hmm. The W two was for one ten. Mm. So they were going to give her a $5,000 difference to be an independent contractor versus a W two. And she was, on the Facebook group, unsure of what to do, but also contemplating the independent contractor position because it was $5,000 more. Okay. So before you even continue the story, <laughs> big red like flags, right? Huge red flags, because it, you'll understand a little bit more when we talk about this, but before you even go on, Mike, is that right off the bat, a yes or a no, without even knowing more information? Without knowing anything more, I would walk away from that clinic because that sounds so sketchy. They're either ignorant or they're trying to take advantage of you. It's an absolute no for me because with contract work, you will be making more money because there's more risk for it. So So absolutely no. This is a good transition into the cons. So let's talk about the cons of independent contract work and we'll actually circle back around to this, this story. So the cons of independent contracting are taxes are paid exclusively by you. So what you get paid by your client is called a 1099 tax form, and they are not withholding any taxes. When you're a W-2 employee, your employer is typically holding back your income tax. 
So that's why at the end of the year, you know, a lot of times people get money back from the government. The reason for that is every paycheck, a portion of your pay is getting held by your employer for income tax so that you don't have to worry about it. When you're an independent contractor, none of that happens. So you need to make sure right off the bat that you're setting aside anywhere from 25 to 35% of that pay just to pay taxes. You're ineligible for employer-sponsored benefits. So that includes health insurance, but also workers' comp. Mm -hmm. So workers' comp is one that I think people a lot of times aren't aware of, is if you are an independent contractor, you probably need to have a more robust short-term disability policy because you will not get workers' comp. If you get injured on the job, you're on your own, and your employer could terminate your independent contracting, um, the contract, and then you really are out without any income. So you need to be very wary of that and recognize that if you do not have access to workers' comp, uh, you need to make sure you have a disability policy in place to cover that. You have less stability and protections compared to a standard employee. We've already talked about this one. They can really, they can terminate the contract with or without cause, usually pretty easily. That's another thing within the contract that you can stipulate and you can debate back and forth but there's far less barriers to them terminating the relationship with you as opposed to if you were an employee where then you could have some avenue for filing unemployment claims or having wrongful termination. Medicare and Social Security are not automatically deducted. So this is, earlier we talked about the self-employment tax of about 15.3%, and this is what it is. So typically, Medicare and Social Security are split down the middle. They're 15% tax on top of your income tax, but usually your employer pays half, so about seven, seven and a half percent, and then you pay half, which once again is deducted from your paycheck. When you're self-employed, which is what independent contracting is, you're paying that entire 15.3%. So not only do you have to worry about your income tax, you also have to worry about Medicare and Social Security tax. So when it's all said and done, you really need to be getting paid probably about 40% more than what you would be making as a W-2 employee just to break even because of the taxes, disability benefits, retirement contributions, all of these benefits that you would be receiving, these, these non-monetary avenues of compensation as an employee, you don't have available to you. So the pay needs to be at least 40% higher, in my opinion, to justify that. So a $5,000 difference is not enough to consider a contract in position. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah, there's, uh, I've, that's my biggest fear when I got into contracting anyways, is how much money w was it going to cost me to, to contract, especially when I was going to have to pay my own taxes right mm -hmm. now. Um, so that was one of my concerns primarily until we started getting into the, 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 uh, pros in which you are able to deduct. And I know we can talk a little bit more about that in, mm -hmm. in a bit. And I think that is probably one of the most exciting uh, parts of contracting when you are, especially when you're starting off, because there's sometimes significant startup costs. And maybe at the end of this, or maybe in the Patreon only account, uh, account we can talk a little bit more about our personal stories with how that worked out with us. Um, so legally though, uh, there was the choice when I started off, what was I going to choose and and how I was going to label myself? Was I going to become um, an LLC? Was I going to have to start a PLLC? Um, I've heard people doing sole proprietorships. 
So I ended up choosing myself to do a, an LLC. Um, I did not get my PLC. Uh, the Department of Health did deny mine, but that was specifically only because of the type of work I'm doing. So I have an LLC under mine and it would behoove us to talk about what the benefits would be under each one of those. Uh, Mike, under your 1099, are you, you're an LLC or a sole so, proprietor? What are you under? Yeah. So um, I am a sole proprietor. Well, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have a couple different things. So I've got a, a partnership LLC. I've got a um, sole member LLC and then a sole proprietorship. And let's talk about all those because that's probably for, for someone who may not be in this world of contracting and setting up corporations and tax shelters and all these other things. Um, it may sound confusing. Before that, though, did the Department of Health find you to be a health risk? I'm, I'm a little confused by that. <laughs> oh, are I you said unhealthy? Department of Health. I did say Department of Health. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean the you, Department you of are, Education. You are unsanitary. You cannot have an LLC. I'm insanitary. Thank you. I'm un, unsane. Unsan, uh, unsanitary? Insanitary. I'm all of it. Okay. You're both. <laughs> I'm both. So, uh, you know, it was actually Department of Education. I misspoke there. <laughs> so these, the PLCs go through the Department of Education in your state, uh, but depending on the type of work you're doing, you may not need a, a PLLC. And I will talk a little bit to that. Um, when, when you go through your LLC um, conversation, Mike, I, I'm going to add a little note in there in this podcast. So can you Perfect. tell me about sole proprietorship though? Because that was something that I was trying to uh, uh, figure out myself whether I wanted to do that. Sure. So a sole proprietorship is basically the default legal status. So if any of our listeners just went out and let's say they precepted students, because I think, and we'll talk about this in our patron only episode, um, where we get a little bit more practical about how you can do this and how you can really tax advantage yourself. But let's say you are a clinician working your day job as a, a W-2 employee, love and life, but you start taking students. The school most likely is going to contract you as an independent contractor and then just pay you as a 1099, meaning that they're just going to give you, um, you know, a, a 1099 tax form at the end of the year. So this would be considered a sole proprietorship. And what this means is it's not a separate legal entity. It is the, essentially a small business that still runs through your social security number, or you can apply to get a, an employee ID number, but it's still all your personal taxes. That means that the profit and loss and income that is made through your independent contracting or your consulting is reported as personal income or loss on your personal tax returns. So we call this a pass-through taxation, and this is still subject to self-employment tax. And the other thing to keep in mind with this is a sole proprietorship does not limit or protect your personal liability because everything is done through your social security number, through your own personal finances. So there's not a separate legal entity that gives you any type of protection. So okay, I so run, go ahead. Can I, ask, can I ask about that though? If say that you are doing, um, say you're in Durham and you're teaching a student how to uh, do a punch biopsy and and you taught this patient, you're watching them, it's just you two, and this, you're guiding them, and you incorrectly told them to do a punch in an area where there is a major vessel, patient has significant damage for whatever reason. Uh, 
how would that impact you as a sole proprietor then? So if you're if you're doing consulting work such as education and in, in mm-hmm. your example as a sole proprietor mm-hmm. and some sort of litigation occurred against your consulting work, whether that be medical malpractice or even criminal or general liability, in theory, it could get to the point where they could go after your house, they could go after your car, they could go after your personal assets. So if the malpractice case, you, you, you're you teaching a student a punch biopsy and the stu- something goes wrong and it goes to malpractice and the malpractice judgment is greater than your malpractice will cover, mm-hmm. then in theory, all of your personal assets would be up for grabs mm-hmm. and they could foreclose on your house, they could uh, put a lien on it. So this is the big problem with sole proprietorship. It's simple, it's straightforward, not having to have another legal entity, not having to worry about, you know, extra paperwork, extra tax documents is a good thing, Mm -hmm. but there is additional liability that comes with that. So the the general rule that I would say, and once again, we're not lawyers, we're not accountants. If you are gonna go the route of independent contracting, please consult with a lawyer, please get yourself a good accountant. It's worth every penny. Mm -hmm. But if you are a sole proprietor, just think about it what work are you doing and what level of liability will that work incur? If you are practicing medicine, if you are doing clinical work with patients where there's medical malpractice concern, I would not do that as a sole proprietor because I think the risk is quite significant. And unfortunately, I think this goes back to a lot of people taking independent contractor jobs without realizing the level of risk that they're assuming. Mm -hmm. Even if you have your own personal medical malpractice, because the the employer as a contractor probably is not providing it. Even if you have your own malpractice, you are still exposing your own personal assets to an immense amount of risk. And that I think is not conveyed to many people. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing consulting work that has low levels of liability, for example, I do a lot of pharmaceutical speaking, the level of liability with that is probably immensely low simply because mm-hmm. Everything is so tightly controlled by the FDA. Every slide deck that I give is approved by the FDA. So I think the the risk of litigation involved with that is very minimal, provided that I'm staying you know, compliant with FDA guidelines. So I run my speaking, my pharmaceutical consulting is through sole proprietorship. And that's mainly just because it's simple, it's easy, it's straightforward. It's, it's much easier than having to deal with a whole separate company and entity. So if you're not dealing directly with patients, it's probably a good idea um, to consider sole proprietorship because you may be just uh, like you did speaking or giving recommendations that aren't necessarily impacting uh, patient health directly. Uh, what There is caveats that we can talk about a little bit later, but uh, if anybody's freaking out right now and saying like, oh God, like I have to choose between one of these, like what if I pick the wrong one? Almost everything you go through, any software you go through, any um, anybody who's going to be filing these for you to the state uh, is going to help you pick exactly what you need. So you don't really need to be too worried about this unless you are trying to do everything a la carte and doing it completely yourself, which I would never, ever, ever recommend <laughs> in this field. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the next step up. So sole proprietorship is the default. That is basically if you just sign a W-9, you're working, you know, as a, as a uh, you know, preceptor, and then they're sending you a check at the end of each month. That would be sole proprietorship. That's default. So the next step up would be a limited liability company or an LLC. 
So the benefit of this, so a sole member LLC, meaning just you, is still very simple, very straightforward from a tax perspective. But what happens is the LLC limits liability to the independent contractor or the company owner. So then in that same scenario that you gave earlier, John, if someone is suing because of a punch biopsy gone wrong, mm-hmm. the only assets that they can go after are the assets of the LLC, not your mm-hmm. personal assets. So this is a really big, important thing if you are practicing medicine, or if you are doing some sort of work as an independent consultant that has risk of litigation. The downside to an LLC is you have to file paperwork with the state and every state is gonna have different rules and regulations for reporting requirements. For a sole or single member LLC, the IRS will still treat this as a pass-through entity, which means that LLCs uh, would still show up, profit and loss would be on your personal income. So from an accounting or tax perspective, having the LLC is not that much more difficult when you file your taxes. And LLCs do have the opportunity to then elect to be treated as a corporation. So a, a lot of times you hear S-Corp thrown around as this magical term that solves everyone's problem and saves everybody taxes. Um, it's a little bit more complex than that, but that's what they're talking about. Most people that are working as independent contractors and talking about S-Corp are doing it as a single member LLC, but then electing to have that LLC taxed as a, as a corporation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. There's uh, there's a lot of conversations behind how even myself, how I want to adjust my own taxes. I was uh, in a moment of uh, extreme intelligence. I did also hire an accountant (laughs) and Mm -hmm. they will help guide you through once they see your first year, especially if you already know how your finances are going to work with your P&L statements. Uh, you sit down with, with your accountant, they will tell you, you know what, maybe it's not a good idea for you to only uh, function as an LLC. Let's think about S-Corp instead. Uh, I filed my new consultant uh, LLC this year. So I'm hoping to see exactly how this turns around with taxes and taxes are a little bit different this year because coming out of COVID, there's a lot of those payments that were made out to families. Um, it's going to be complicated this year, but I'm excited to see if I need to change mine at all. Um, the, I think that these resources are going to be helpful to anybody who wants to start. And just to give reference, I think, uh, you know, for a single member LLC or a sole proprietorship, you're probably talking about an accountant that will cost anywhere from maybe 500 to $2,000 per year. Mm-hmm. I would venture to say that the money you spend on an accountant will probably be saved um, exponentially in tax savings, but also audit and compliance as well. So yeah. it's definitely worthwhile to have a good accountant if you are doing any type of independent contracting work. Yeah, and make sure that you're comfortable with your the accountant that you pick as well. Make sure you're comfortable with uh, how you feel at the end of it. I know that with my personal accountant uh, who did my personal taxes for years, I never had, I never lost sleep about taxes because at the end of the year, I got everything back in binders. He he, uh, um, put these forms together for me uh, so that any time that if I was ever audited, I don't have to even talk. I just hand them my whole binder and the auditor can go right through that. Everything's already there. I sleep fine at night now. Um, I don't have to worry that I'm gonna have any issue. I mean, 
I, I have a great accountant though. Uh, and honestly, the price is when he, when Mike's talking about the price is, is definitely worth it. Uh, the potential of you screwing something out up by doing it yourself will cost you in the long run. If it's, if it's not in auditing issues, it's an opportunity cost and where you could have saved. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah. I, I don't pay my accountant enough. Like for what he charges, I feel the value is far greater. I would be I would happily, agree. I would happily pay him double. I agree. So let's talk about corporations. This is the final designation or legal structure. So corporations similar to LLCs, they provide limited liability, meaning that you can separate your business from your personal assets so that if something were to happen, some sort of litigation, they wouldn't be able to, to access or come after your personal accounts. Corporations are more complex. You once again have to file paperwork with the state and abide by reporting requirements, but corporations also require separate tax forms. They are not passed through entities, meaning that there's added complexity. There's, there's more that goes with that. Um, certainly in a corporation type of setting, I, I would not be DIYing this. This is something where you definitely would want to have an accountant on board. So escort, this is the the magical unicorn. So in recent years, there's been changes to tax law that have allowed sole um, LLCs, certainly single member LLCs, to change their tax designation to be treated as an S-Corp. And this is why there's been so much discussion about it. The big reason that people like to do this is its tax advantage. It allows pass-through income as dividends, and this avoids taxation. So essentially what you can do if you elect to be an S-Corp is... The, the requirements are that the S-Corp, so you, actually, let me back up. So within an S-Corp, what you can do is you can actually hire yourself as an employee of the S-Corp. So by hiring yourself as an employee, you can pay yourself a reasonable salary. Mm -hmm. And there is open to interpretation what a reasonable salary is, and some accountants are more gutsy than others, and some accountants may also lead to audit where others are more conservative. But you can pay yourself a reasonable salary and then whatever the difference between your salary and the profit of the corporation can then be paid out to you as a dividend. Mm -hmm. When it gets paid out as a dividend, the tax rate is much lower because you avoid that self-employment tax. Mm -hmm. So for example, let's say you make $80,000 in one year. You can pay yourself a salary through an S-Corp of maybe $40,000. And then when you pay that, you would have normal income tax. You would do all the normal tax withholdings for Social Security, Medicare, and all of that. The remaining 40000 the difference between your salary and the profit of the company could then be paid out as a dividend, which has a much lower tax rate, also does not have Social Security or Medicare tax. So as you can tell, this can save significant money in taxes, but it's also complex. So you may be adding significant complexity that may cost more from an accounting standpoint, may also lead to more potential points of failure in terms of compliance. I, I know of people that had accountants that were, I don't want to say shady, but very aggressive. And they were paying, you know, $20,000 salary to a nurse practitioner where the, you know, the market rate for an NP is in the low six figures. Mm -hmm. That doesn't, you know, pass the smell test. That's not kosher. Mm -hmm. So you do have to be careful with this. I think the people that stand up on the mountaintop and talk about how amazing S-Corp is are also the people that are maybe, you know, on the margins in that gray area of what is truly compliant or legal in terms of tax code. 
you do have to be careful because a reasonable salary is the the expectation with an S-Corp. So if you are a clinician, if you're a PA, a physician, an NP, and you are working as an independent contractor for a clinic, well, a reasonable salary is going to be pretty darn high. Mm -hmm. So if they're paying, we'll stick with PA or NP just because I'm more familiar with salary structure. So if they're paying you, you know, $150,000 a year to work as an independent contractor, you cannot pay yourself under an escort a salary of $30,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So you have to pick a number, and there's always some risk that the number is going to be too low and trigger an audit. But if you go too high, then you're losing those benefits of, of reducing that double taxation. So S-Corp can be very good, but you definitely, if you go that route, you need to make sure that you have a good accountant and that you feel confident in how the accountant is going to structure you because it can. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for um, gray area interpretation, both from the IRS, but also from the accountant. Find a, find a contractor or attending that you know already, ask them who they use. Um, make sure that person, you know, has that integrity, somebody that you want to maybe even a mentor of yours, uh, that you trust, ask who their, their accountant is and just go with them. Same with their lawyers. I've done the same with mine. I've only used lawyers and accountants that have proven to know the field that I'm working in so that I'm comfortable that they're not re having to research a bunch to figure out how to do what I'm asking them to do. They're, they've already done it before. Uh, and then the same with these uh, reasonable salaries. A quick search on Glassdoor will show you what the lows and highs are uh, for any of the professions out there that you're considering. Uh, and you can, as long as you're sticking somewhere close to the low, I'm sure that you're probably going to be in a good position. Uh, but don't put yourself at risk. This is all about risk. Yeah, I, I think you could probably get away with, you know, being 20% below market average, but you, you do have to be careful with that. And I think there's some people that, uh, man, <laughs> we'll see if they love S-Core once they get audited. Right. So tax benefits, we're, at, we're in tax season right now, right? Uh, it just, yes. and don't yesterday, remind me. Yesterday was the date. Um, my accountant is very forgiving. Thank goodness. Life has been extremely busy for us. When I handed mine in, he says, you're really cutting it close, aren't you, John? I said, I am so sorry. <laughs> it's been quite a year already for us. So um, tax benefits, you're all, we're talking about this all the time, Mike, we're, you're, you happily and, and freely give me information of, Hey, did you, did you know that this is a possibility? Good God. No, I didn't know that. I'm probably going to find out soon, but um, maybe you're going to tell me something that I didn't already know about some of these tax benefits. Um, please teach me something that I don't know about what are my top tax deductions that I can take as a contractor. So this is really where being an independent contractor pays off. So we talked earlier that independent contracting, you have to pay all of your own taxes. You're responsible for all of your own Medicare and Social Security tax. So ideally, you need to have an independent contract be probably 40% greater than what you would make as a W-2 employee. Otherwise, it's not worth the added risk. It's not worth your time. If you do get a contract like that where you're getting, you know, let's say, a PA or an NP is getting hired at 100 as a W-2 employee and the independent contracting position is 140, that probably works out in your favor. And the big reason for that 
is as a contractor, you have access to many tax deductions that people that work as employees do not have. Mm-hmm. So for example, and we'll go through these in a little bit more detail, but just right off the bat, if you are an employee, you cannot deduct the mileage of you driving to and from the office. Mm-hmm. That is not a deductible expense. You cannot deduct home office expenses if you are an employee. If you are a contractor, you can deduct your mileage to drive to and from the office. You can deduct home office expense. There's so many more deductions that are available to you. And if you are smart, if you are organized, you can really take advantage of this and reduce your tax burden to a point that it comes out advantageous compared to W-2 employment. So I put together a list in our show notes. And once again, for patron members, you'll be able to go to patreon.com slash WCRT, and you'll be able to access the show notes with lots of links. We're trying to make this a one-stop document for you to understand contracting, kind of a first step so that you know what you're talking about before you go see a lawyer, before you go talk to a prospective um, client. So the top deductions that are available to independent contractors. First, self-employment tax. So we talked about the fact that as an independent contractor, you're paying that full additional 15.3% of self-employment tax. However, the IRS will let you deduct half of that because they see that it's an extra cost of business. The half that is usually withheld or paid by your employer is now something that if you're paying it yourself, you can deduct it. We also have linked in the show notes a self-employment tax calculator. And this is a really helpful thing because if you're an independent contractor, you will also have to pay your taxes quarterly. And this is something, my goodness, every year in the Facebook groups that I'm in, I see someone that says, I owe $60,000 in taxes because no one told me I had to pay quarterlies. Uh So you need to pay quarterly taxes. You need to keep track of that. So every three months, you have to sit down either with your accountant or with a good software program like the ones we have linked in the show notes and figure out how much money you need to send in to the government. Home office expenses is another one. So home office deductions are calculated using a percentage of square footage um, of your home that's being used for business purposes. So you may say, you know, my home office is X amount of square feet, and this is 20% of my home. Uh If you are deducting 20% of your home as a business expense, this can also be applied to mortgage interest, depreciation, property taxes, utilities. You could take 20% of your utilities and call that a business expense. So there's an incredible opportunity to write off a ton of expenses at the house. Um, So uh, just a quick note, somebody might want to know this, your home office, uh, if, if you aren't producing anything and you're sitting at a desk uh, with, you know, just filing uh, computer work, uh, phone, whatever it is, the good average of square footage that can be taken out is around 200 square feet. Uh, you're going to, most uh, CPAs are going to tell you that you can probably go above that, but then you're getting to the point where, well, Mike was talking about the S-Corp, that it, maybe you're living a little bit too close to the edge. Let's, let's stay comfortable. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested about the other deductions that may, you might be using personally and for business. Tell me, tell me some of those ones, because maybe I'm missing out on some of them. Yeah, so this is a great opportunity where if you're a W-2 employee, 
you can't deduct your internet, you can't deduct your cell phone, you can't deduct your computer. If you are a contractor, you can claim a percentage of these home devices, you know, tech, any devices that you may be using for business, you can either claim a percentage of them or you can claim all of it if they're exclusively used for business. And this is an incredible thing because all of us have home internet, all of us have computers at home, all of us have, you know, cell phones. And if you're doing contract work, this allows you to offset those costs because you would have those costs regardless. You know, it, even if you're not a contractor, you probably are still going to have home internet, right? So if you have contract work, then you can write off some of that home internet cost or some of these expenses that you would have probably already incurred even if you weren't having a home having your own business. So that can be a huge advantage. The other thing that you can write off is business insurance. So this can be malpractice, but also general business insurance. Um, startup costs. So as we're talking about using a lawyer, using an accountant, any money that you pay to file your LLC can be written off. Any money that you pay to your accountant can be written off. So all of those professional legal fees, all of those startup costs of getting the business up and running can be um, written off. Yeah. Um, even let's talk about uh, if you have, if you want to start a website, anything on the website paying for, I use G suite for all of managing my workspace. That's that you can write that off the software that you mentioned before for managing your finances that's written off anything that you can say, this is for business needs that you've purchased uh, in those setup costs will be deducted or can be deducted. Yeah. So retirement contributions, this is another huge one. So if you are doing contracting work, you have the ability to do um, what's called a SEP, which is a self-employment program. And this is a, a type of 401k, or it's not a 401k, but it's a an IRA that allows you to have tax-deferred investments. So they work very similar to 401ks, but there's more flexibility in how you contribute and your contribution amounts when it's a SEP or a self-employed. Once again, consult with your accountant. We are not the experts on that. We just take good advice from our accountants when we're developing these retirement tax advantage strategies. Training and education. So in medicine, we've, we've talked about in previous episodes, you know, most professions require some sort of ongoing education. If you're doing consulting work, then this allows you to write off any expenses that were incurred for CME. Mm-hmm. We also have a link in the show notes for the 2022 education tax write-off guide. So those change every year. There's also different variables. For example, um, when I got my doctorate, I was not able to write it off because it was not required at my primary place of employment. But there's other opportunities where if you're going for advanced education and it's required for your consulting work, then you may be able to even write off schooling. So uh, also to add to that, professional organizations. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're, I'm a part of many different organizations, APHE, uh, APHE, that's not one. Um, the ACPE and the APHA, um, MSL Society. I'm a, few, I'm a part of a few of them, which have some high uh, fees, annual fees. Those can be written off as well, but those also have CMEs associated with them that are usually free. Uh, you can look at our our podcast or our referring to continuing education for professionals as well. And, then, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in that episode. Uh, but I, those are those are very high costs. I mean, some some of these annual fees can be between four, six hundred, even a thousand dollars for uh, annual fees. 
uh, be sure to include those. So another one I think can be really important is meals. So any meals that are related to your business can be deducted at a percentage of their value or using the standardized meal deduction. So if you're working as, a, as an independent contractor, if you are having to go grab lunch every day because you're not packing your lunch, the office isn't providing lunch, then you can keep track of all of those receipts and write off at least a percentage of those meals because those are business meals. You're having lunch during the middle of your workday at your contracted position. Make sure you're saving your receipts, especially for meals. This is a, a common point of audit. So you definitely need to make sure that you're saving your receipts and also that the meals are not extravagant. Mm-hmm. If you're going to Ruth Chris for lunch every day and you're getting a $100 steak and trying to write that off, it probably, A, is going to kill you because you're going to have a heart attack after eating steak every day for lunch, but the IRS may not like that either. So the last one in my list of top 10 that I've included in the show notes is travel. So business-related travel is deductible, but it must be clearly delineated from personal travel. Once again, this is an area where I think people brag about what is essentially abuse of the system, and that's all good and well until you get audited. So if you go on a trip, the purpose of the trip has to be for business. You can't go on a personal vacation to Disney and then say, oh, well, I made a couple phone calls with clients while I was down there. You can't go on a trip to Disney and then say, oh, well, I set up a meeting while I was down there. The purpose of the trip has to be business or the business aspect of the trip has to be intentional and set up ahead of time. The IRS does not look fondly on what is clearly tax evasion if you're just trying to set up some little token business thing to to, to uh, justify your personal trip. Mm-hmm. If you're combining business and travel, which many of us do, just keep documentation of the business activities that were done during the trip conducted as proof. Also, it's a good idea to keep, you know, very clear receipts or clear documentation of what amount of that trip was business versus personal so that you can write off the appropriate percentage. So for example, I did a trip we talked about in an earlier episode for one of our personal items that I tried ice climbing for the first time. So I went out to Colorado for a training. So it was a Friday, Saturday training, and then I went ice climbing on Sunday. So the trip, you know, all my meals, my parking, all that Friday and Saturday, I kept receipts, wrote those off as business expenses. Any expenses that I incurred Sunday, ice climbing, obviously, I did not write off, but also, you know, travel to the ice climbing plate, to the mountains to, to meet my guide, my breakfast, my lunch that day, I did not write off. I did write then off the return flight home because I would have had to get home from this business trip anyway. So in that case, the ex- the primary purpose of the trip was business, but I made sure to exclude in the tax write-offs anything that was considered personal, including ice climbing. So to that same story, I'm, I got one of my own. My first ever uh, deduction was with my CPA. So mm-hmm. I, I meet him out. And I I tell them all about what I'm planning to do, what I want to do. I've already filed my LLC and I I just want to make sure that he would be able to take care of me in that light as well. And it's like, oh yeah, let's talk about it. And really everything that you've said, Mike, is every part of the conversation that we had as well. We get to the end of it. We had a, we had a couple of drinks, had a little bit of food. And I was like, I just, it seems like a lot of work. I just, I don't know what you can write off for, for meals. And he goes, well, this one. 
I told him, I was like, oh, this is on me. I, I'll pay for this one. It's like, no, here, get the receipt, write down meeting with CPA, discussing, of, uh, discussing personal uh, and business finances. And he said, this is your first receipt that you get to write off. And that, that was great. I was like, oh, man, I still have it. I still, Did oh, you frame hey, it? Oh, hey, no. Do you actually no, have it framed? No, it's right here. Hold on. Oh, my goodness. Right yeah, right there. <laughs> I don't know if I can even see it because I've got a, a green screen on, but it's on the bottom there. It says tax planning uh, with the name of my my advisor on there. So um, as long as you're keeping your receipts, keep those receipts. Make sure you're using the software. We can talk a little bit more about Good what software. Segue. But, yeah, so let's talk about that because I do uh, not have p- random piles of receipts sitting on my desk to pull nope. out during the podcast. This was special. I don't sure, have any other ones sure. up here. <laughs> I, I, I think a little bit less of you if you find your first receipt to be special, but that's okay. I still love you. All right. So some resources. So I, I included in the show notes, a couple of resources, and these are things that I use. As we talked about earlier, I think the key to success as an independent contractor is organization. If you are organized with your taxes, with your deductions, you're going to have success. You're going to do well. If you are disorganized, you are going to end up paying penalties to the IRS for underpayment on your quarterlies. You're going to end up putting yourself at audit risk and potentially you're going to end up putting yourself at risk because you are going to not have adequate short-term disability coverage and then you have an injury at work and no workers comp, et cetera, et cetera. So some good resources that I have found to be really good. Um, Everlance. So this is an app. I think you can download it. There's a free version and then also a premium option. The premium option is $5 a month. And what this does, this is an expense and mileage tracker. There's a couple different ones out there. I personally use Everlance, so I've included it here just because I want to make sure that if I'm passing along recommendations to listeners, it's stuff that we really can vouch for. Mm-hmm. So the 30, um, the free option offers you 30 automatic trips per month. So with this app, you can actually open it and turn it on, and it will track your mileage. So if you are driving somewhere for business purposes, you just flip the app on, and it'll automatically track your mileage as a business expense. It also allows unlimited manual stop and start tracking. So if you exceed your 30 automatic mileage trips, what you can do is go in and just log a new trip. And what it'll do is just give you the start and end address and automatically calculate the write-off that goes with that. There's expense tracking with unlimited receipt uploads. So instead of you know randomly keeping receipts on my desk to show people on podcasts, I get a receipt, I take a picture of it with the Everlance app, I log in what it is, I can actually categorize what it is, is this a business meal, is this an educational expense, I can categorize it to what service line or what company since I've got a couple different LLCs, and then it loads it, it keeps it, at the end of the year I can send my accountant a big file, it's a big Excel sheet that has all of the receipts, it has all of the logged information, he can actually arrange it and sort it by categorization of write-off. So it's really nice for him too. He loves it because it keeps things every organized, really organized. So I'm not showing up to my accountant at the end of the year with a shoebox full of receipts. The premium option offers unlimited trip detection, automatic expense tracking. So you can actually link a bank account or a credit card. So this is really nice. If you've got an LLC, you can have a separate bank account. You can have mm-hmm. a separate credit card associated with this. And then Everlance will link right up to that. And then also, once again, you can send those reports to your accountant. The other one that I really like is Wealthfront. So Wealthfront is, 
it's similar to Betterment, Acorns. There's all of these these other ones. Ally, the ETF Robo Investor platform has grown so much lately, and that we could probably do a whole separate episode, maybe with uh, with some financial insight into ETFs and you know financial literacy for healthcare professionals. But Wealthfront is is the one that I use. I really like this. It basically is a DIY investing platform. I don't do all of my investing through it, but I, I like to be diversified. So I do have a chunk of money that is more DIY that I put into the market. And the nice thing with Wealthfront is it has a lot of financial planning features as well. So unlike, you know, something like Robinhood, where you're basically just, you know, pulling the trigger and buying stocks, and it's really not that different from a casino, Wealthfront provides a lot of planning. It also offers opportunities where you can put it in and they'll diversify and have it in many different funds. You can do targeted funds. But this is important as we're talking about independent contracting because you will need to have some sort of opportunity to do um, tax-advantaged retirement planning. Wealthfront offers you the opportunity to do self-employed IRAs, all of these types of um, investment vehicles that allow you to save on taxes and make sure that you're putting away a portion of your independent contracting money for retirement. Mm -hmm. I do have a link in here in the show notes. And if you open a Wealthfront account using the show notes, using the Patreon um, account, then you will actually get $5,000 managed for free. And the Wealthfront fees, just to give people an idea, you do need to open an account with a minimum of $500. And then they pay, they charge a 0.25% advisory fee which is, you know, on the low end, but par with these DIY robo investors. Yeah. So I personally use QuickBooks online. I am a sole owner, founding member of my LLC. And I really enjoy, I, I'm not getting paid by these, by the way, I, I should probably make that disclaimer. <laughs> we probably um, should get paid by them. We, maybe yeah, we, we need to be better at this. We, we will be better at this, we're, <laughs> but we're just a couple of healthcare people that don't really know anything about finances, right? We're Wrong. definitely some noobs. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So when I, I just, uh, QuickBooks is a uh, household name. Everybody at least has heard of them. Now I like using QuickBooks because not only can I do the automatic tracking with driving and re keeping receipts, uh, but they also, like you mentioned, have their own bank. So they'll send me a credit. I've got a, my own card. I wish I had it here to show you, Mike, but I can actually make payments with that card uh, and it comes out of the, the account itself, but you can link your own personal accounts, which I have at a credit unit near me anyways. Uh, so uh, the other benefit I really, that helps me out a lot more because I'm more, I'm in a consultant and I do want to make a uh, delineation in just a moment about consulting and what that means in keeping yourself legally safe. Uh, but I can send my invoices directly to my clients and they can pay by phone. Uh, I don't need one of those card swipes. I don't need to go through my bank. I don't need to get checks from anybody. Um, I have all of my clients linked directly to my QuickBooks account and they pay me directly through my text message that I send to them. Or I can send an email, I can send a direct invoice and paper. They have multiple ways that you can um, send those out, but it's convenient for my client and it's convenient for me. I, I don't have to think about payments at all. So um, not only do I get to make payments easy, but I can create invoices directly on QuickBooks. I can, in those invoices, 
not only charge them a certain fee based on my hourly hourly rate, but I can make a specific uh, specific specific um, uh, line by line actions or accomplishments or what we did consulting or uh, explaining what I'm invoicing them for. Uh, and I, those are on record as well. If I ever need to go back and review what, what are we billing for? What did we do that day? Uh, cause sometimes those questions will come up with your client. Uh, so if I may, uh, I don't know if you want to make any last points about the, the platforms that we've used or what we've pointed to. I do want to make one point about consulting. I, anything well, else you want to say about that? I think I have some more thoughts on that, but I think we should take it over to the members only area because it, I think there's a lot more that we can do of maybe giving more specific detail of how we've set things up, but let's do that for members only. Okay. So very let's, good. let's wrap it up with your final thoughts and then we'll jump over to the Patreon happy hour. So when we're talking about 1099s, uh, some of the best advice that I got about consulting now, my work specifically, I don't work patient. I don't work directly with patients. My, my job and my goals for my clients is to ensure that they are more efficient with their workflow, um, that I can help them expand clinical services. I help create policies and procedures. Uh, I give them insight to ideas behind uh, how to become more financially viable for their clinics uh, from a different point of view. I, I don't market myself as a pharmacy consultant because I do much more than just pharmacy type work. Now, when you're a consultant, not working directly with patients, you do need to remember and empower yourself to remind your client that you are not there to do their physical work. You're there for recommendations. And that's part of reliability as well. Once you start working in specifically, like some of my policy and procedure work, that creates more liability for me. However, I can bill more because I'm, I'm structuring their, their policies and, and procedures. But I, as a consultant, I can just tell them, okay, you, you want to know more about how to structure this policy. This is what I would do. This is what I would look into. These are the resources I would use. This is someone in my network that I can connect you to. Those are my recommendations. That's what you should do. It is not my job to ensure that they are meeting the standards for the Department of Health, uh, any other governing agency, uh, the Joint Commission. If they, if the Joint Commission comes in and they take a look at files behind, uh, I don't know how they're just, how they're storing their medication and are they storing it appropriately. I gave my recommendation. That's all I need to do. I I am not responsible if they get hit with something of. Uh, from how they store their medication. Now they might not choose to use me anymore because maybe I didn't give them the correct information, but if I gave them the right information and I have it documented and they didn't act on it, well, that's, that's not my problem. Uh, my job is here to uh, give you information that will keep you safe and effective. Uh, you can just find work like that. That is valuable. I get paid to do uh, consultant work that I don't do any physical work for. I'll get phone calls to say, uh, can I do this with this drug? And I'll say, yes or no. And that's it. it. It's wonderful. So you get excited about potentially consulting for folks. Uh, there's many avenues and we can talk more specifically. This, this was very 
very structured on how to do it. It is the uh, how to contract for dummies, but there is much more to this. And we're, I think we're probably going to have many more episodes on how this plays out in the real world and what our day-to-day looks like. Uh, I hope that this encourages everybody to, if you're on the edge, let, let this push you over that edge and, and become self-employed, even if you have a 40-hour. Uh, Mike, I think it's great that you've encouraged me to do it. That's I, I would say that you are a large percentage as to why I even got into this. So a lot of great info. Thanks for talking nonstop. Uh, I know I didn't have a, a lot to add because there was so much uh, good meat here. So, uh, Mike, why, why don't you take us out? I appreciate every, done, everything you did today. Well, thank you, John. So I think let's finish with uh, some personal stuff. I always like doing that. Healthcare is very involved. Healthcare can be overwhelming. So I like finishing with some personal things just to maintain the humanity in it. So do you want to go first? No, you're, you're, it's all you. So I, um, I think I told you I bought the espresso machine that you have, right? Oh, yeah, the Breville. Yes. So for listeners that have not been to John's house and don't know his espresso machine, John is obsessed with espresso. And I was, you know, muddling by with some cheap little, you know, $30 espresso machine. And we went out to visit John and I saw his Breville, his $700 Breville, and I fell in love. So I watched for maybe two months on Facebook Marketplace and was able to pick up a used one at a a reasonable price. So I've been having a lot of fun making coffee at home. Honestly, I can't tell you the last time I went to Starbucks. Yeah, I can make a better drink at home. So there's just really no justification to go spend money on it. So this morning, I made the most perfect hazelnut cappuccino. Tell me about it. How'd you do it? Well, I brewed coffee and I added foam. No, you can't just say you brewed (laughs) coffee. Do you have beans that you're like, oh, I I have to use these beans? I think right now I'm just using Starbucks espresso roast. I'm I'm a Starbucks loyalist because it's consistent. You mm-hmm. get the same product every time. You're never going to have a bad batch. So Starbucks espresso beans. And then I actually, I don't, I suck at steaming milk. So okay. I, I got a frother. Okay. And it has one of the heating coils in it. So all you have to do is you push a button. Two minutes mm-hmm. later, you get perfectly froth milk that's ready to go. Okay. So it's wonderful. So I've been dabbling with, uh, I like good, dry, foamy cappuccinos. So that's what I've been playing with on weekends lately. Okay. So uh, to that point, I am going to get you your first bag of real beans to use. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, I won't turn I, it down. Well, so anybody who knows any uh, about coffee, I would say anything about coffee. Who Those people who are obsessed with it, who start with the Chemex or the Harios or the V60s or doing your pour overs, um, really getting to the tannins and uh, trying to understand how you roast. If you open a bag of beans and they are glossy, throw them in the trash. Okay. I, I, I'm very confident that Starbucks will never be uh, sponsoring us here. So <laughs> I feel free to say the only good thing that Starbucks has to offer are their tea refreshers, whatever they call them. And those, and uh, they have the nitro cold brew with sweet, sweet cream if we if we have to stop and Carol, my wife is like we're getting Starbucks in. All right, you know what I want, and it's the cold brew, uh, nitro sweet cream. That's it. I want my beans to look dry and and slightly browned and roasted. Um, I can tell the undertones at this point. I I love it, and I have to use. I'm going to teach you how to steam milk correctly. 
uh, my top, I taught my eight-year-old to do it. All right. It's a date, but yeah, I, he, he knows how to, uh, steam his milk now, some whole milk. I'm using, uh, counterculture beans right now. I think I'm using hologram, uh, and I'm making sure the roast date was within a month. I try to get local beans that are, are roasted within a couple of weeks or so. Uh, but you, you got to get the right bean. You got to get the right draw. You got, it, I'm going to teach right. you some stuff. I have so, so much to learn. So much. We're going to convert this podcast into a coffee, co- a coffee discussion. <laughs> All right. Well, John, thank you. So thank you guys for listening. As always, if you'd like to hear more, check us out on Patreon slash WCRT. On there, you can get access to show notes and a lot of other different things, including a private Facebook group where you can interact with us directly and have more direct input on show topics. We're going to actually continue this conversation on the Patreon page for members. We're going to talk more specifically about our own personal setups and how we've really set up our consulting work to to be tax advantaged, but different things that we've learned through the process. But otherwise, for people that are not going to join us over on Patreon, John, as always, it's been a pleasure. Great to see you. My name's Mike. This is John. This is White Coats of the Right Table. White Coats of the Right Round Table. Oh, my God. No, goodness. this is the right table. No, this is the right table. You got White this Coats the, of the Round this Table. This is the cool table. <laughs> this is White Coats of the Round Table, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>